And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Philip Jenkins. He's Distinguished Professor of History, Baylor University. Dr. Jenkins, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Somehow or another, I came across your book um, on Amazon. It's called The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity, and that kind of caught my attention. And I must admit, I don't even have a copy of the book yet, so I'm really... um, I really want to know more about this book. And on Amazon, it, it says the following. It says, in this new and substantially expanded third edition. So um, maybe you could get us started. Tell us about your book and uh, what's new about it in this third edition. Okay. Well, let me start maybe with the first edition. The first edition came out in uh, 2002. And uh, it it had it got quite a lot of... Um, uh, Interest and uh, it, it uh, was there was a related cover story in the Atlantic magazine, and then in 2011 I did a uh, third edition. I've also done a couple of other books that relate to it. the uh, The basic argument is simple: that uh, over the last um, 50 years or so, the relative importance of churches outside Europe and uh, North America has grown very dramatically. Uh, in numerical terms and whatever denomination, whatever church you're looking at. Uh, So the centers of the church in terms of their numbers and their emphasis is likely to be much more in uh, Africa, Asia, or Latin America, and particularly in some countries. And that that emphasis is only going to grow in, um, in decades to come. So the kind of Christianity that we think of is based in North America and um, and Europe. It's it's not something of the past in the sense that that is going to go away, but it's no longer the only game in town. The real numbers are going to be uh, elsewhere, and the uh, key Christian populations in years to come are going to be in, uh, countries that we don't maybe uh, think of immediately today. So we might think of, you know, the U.S., Britain, France, Germany. You'd have to look at countries like um, uh, Nigeria, Brazil, Ethiopia. And that, that, that's true with whatever denominations you're uh, looking at. So that's the basic theme of the uh, the book. And I can speak about anything you want to um, arising from that. Yeah. I think it's fascinating because um, we are quick to fall into a trap of thinking that the world revolves around us. And, uh, you know, my only experience is here in America. I don't know anything else, really, except what I read or talk with someone like you. Um, Yet, a few years ago, I was reading a little bit about, in this case, it was China and the growth of Christianity in China, uh, even though it's hard to get our arms around it, is quite astounding. And there, there's there's millions upon millions of Christians in China, and uh, then you learn more about Africa and Latin America, and God is really doing a work. Um, and these Christians may not look like me. Obviously, they won't physically, but uh, even their worship services and where they meet and everything. Um, how are they different from us? Maybe we can talk about that a little bit. 
Well, uh, I, you know, it very much depends uh, place by place. Uh, but if you went to uh, Africa, for instance, you'd find a very familiar range of denominations. So you'd find, um, you know, Presbyterians or Baptists or whatever denomination. You'd also find a lot of other names that uh, maybe you're not so familiar with, but it wouldn't take you long to figure out what they are, that they are uh, Pentecostal churches or holiness churches or whatever. Um, they have uh, often have uh, a different emphasis from um, more mainstream churches in the U.S. They're very focused on uh, healing, on ideas of a miracle, of the supernatural, or something which uh, regularly breaks through into, uh, into everyday life. I don't have to go far in the United States to find churches like that, but in Africa, that is, uh, say, that would be uh, absolutely the, uh, the norm. So ideas of exorcism, spiritual warfare, healing uh, are, all, uh, are, are all very common. One thing which probably would surprise a visitor is the astonishingly high level of, um, of commitment. Uh, so in Nigeria, for example, they, they have these uh, uh, what are called um, prayer camps, uh, which are like campgrounds. And a normal service there would be an all-night service where people might turn up at, uh, you know, 9 p.m. and they'd be there till 9 a.m. And uh, some of those camps, some of those services can draw hundreds of thousands of, uh, uh, of people. You get miracle crusades that will pull in two million people. So the numbers are just uh, uh, just astonishing. So it's a, it's a very active time in Christianity worldwide uh, and a very creative time. So there's a huge uh, activity around the world right now in writing hymns. Uh, you can't say this is the greatest ever age in uh, Christian hymn writing, but so much of it is in languages that most of us in the United States don't speak. They're mm. African languages, they're Asian languages, they're Yoruba and Swahili and uh, Tagalog and Tamil and so on. Now, uh, you wrote this book, um, The Next Christendom, and you're up to the third edition now. Were there times as you were researching that what you found surprised you? The sheer scale of, um, of things was, um, uh, was very striking. Um, in some ways, the most surprising thing was the way in which it turns your uh, expectations upside down. So I think a lot of us think of... You know, Christianity is a religion that emerges in uh, Europe and spreads to North America, and then missionaries take it to the rest of the world. The more you look at the history, you realize that for the first thousand years of the Christian faith, it is stronger in Asia than in Europe. It's extremely strong in Africa. And it's at the end of the Middle Ages that a lot of those churches are snuffed out by different kinds of disaster and persecution, and that leaves Europe as the last continent standing. So um, in some ways, when you look at the story I'm telling about the expansion into Africa and Asia, it's not a new expansion, it's the church going home. Mm. I have a feeling that, and maybe you can confirm this, that as hard as the enemies of Christ attempt to stamp out Christianity, it almost like it has the reverse effect. The persecution of the church almost seems to help it to grow. Well, it's certainly a common theme in history, but uh, there's one very particular incident I'd refer to just uh, just recently. Um, back in 2015, which is not long ago in ancient history, mm. there was an incident when members of ISIS 
took uh, 21 Christian workers in uh, Libya. And the 21, uh, they were all Coptic Egyptian Christians, except for one man who was a Ghanaian African Christian. And they, uh, they murdered these uh, people. And uh, as each of them died, as each of the men died, you could see them with their last breath saying the words, Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Within literally weeks of that uh, crime, uh, the men had been made saints. Um, and already now, just four years later, uh, there are shrines to those uh, saints, there are new churches to those saints, and uh, there, there, there are Coptic churches in the United States with altars and paintings dedicated to those saints. Um, so you look at the great, uh, you know, boost, the uh, great new strength that an incident like that gives to uh, uh, the church and multiply that by a factor of many, and uh, uh, what you say is exactly true. Mm. It's it's fascinating. You, you mentioned ISIS, and uh, we think of the church in Iraq. How is how are things proceeding in Iraq nowadays? Any any idea of is the gospel spreading? Um, I think the word is surviving rather than spreading. Yes. Uh, over the last twenty five years, the uh, churches in uh, Iraq have uh, suffered a terrible uh, reduction in their strength. Uh, 25 years ago, you maybe were talking, I don't know, three quarters of a million Christians. Uh, if that's down to 100,000 now, mm. that would be uh, optimistic. And there are many people who think that the same thing will happen uh, to the Christians in Iraq as happened to the Jews, where they are more or less entirely removed. There used to be a saying they had in Iraq, uh, which is, after Saturday, come Sunday, hmm. and the idea is after the Jews were entirely removed, the Christians would be next. And we're not quite there yet, but we're, we're very well on the way. Now, uh, those communities, um, they're not being annihilated, they're moving to other countries, they're moving to the United States or Europe or Australia, and so uh, those churches like the Chaldeans and the Assyrians, as they're called, um, are, are flourishing congregations but I really wonder how long it would be before they get to see their uh, homelands again. Yes. Well, it was a, it was a big hit to those people, for sure. Um, I, I, I was just about to say, also, it's very hard for us to remember just how old established those churches are. Yeah. So, uh, for instance, the Assyrians and the Chaldeans, they don't call themselves Christians. They call themselves Nazarenes. Because when their church was founded, the word Christian hadn't really taken off. They're that <laughs> old. So when um, ISIS uh, was persecuting Christians in Iraq, they would go around the town and paint the Arabic letter for N on the door for Nazarene. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And it's also very sad and striking. What impresses you the most on how... Your book, The Next Christendom, um, any any other surprises of, of what God is, has been doing over the past 50 years in this world of ours? Well, one thing I find very interesting, I've done quite a lot of work on how these churches um, read the Bible, and um, often they will read the Bible, but pick up different parts of it than might be done for a you know, regular mainstream white American person, and they'll find things that will speak to them. 
And um, often they will pick up passages that are really obscure to us, but to them it's, you know, this speaks to me because this speaks to a society that's based on maybe uh, farming and agriculture and a poor society where people are scrambling for food, which is not the case with most regular American churchgoers. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you suddenly get these very, uh, very startling, very illuminating readings. It doesn't mean that they have some kind of supernatural connection with the, uh, the word of the Bible, but often they're, they're reading the Bible in the way it might have been read 2,000 years ago. Yeah. I wonder how, how you go about uh, garnering information. Um, probably use some on the Internet, but... How do you get to um, original sources and all of that in in your studies here for this book, The Next Christendom? Boy, uh, it's it's so good. There's so much of it is kind of um, uh, observation and uh, uh, conversation. Um, one thing which um, strikes very strongly is if you want to speak to a lot of African churches, you can certainly go to Africa, but there are so many African churches or Asian churches in the United States. Mm. So if you live in a big city, you have so many of these churches uh, very much in your uh, in your vicinity. Um, I, I just take one example. Uh, Houston, Texas, for example, is the Nigerian capital of the United States. Uh, you don't have to go far there to find a very thriving uh, Nigerian congregations. They're very welcoming. They're very uh, happy to talk. They're very much in tune with what's happening back home in Nigeria. If you go to Washington, D.C., you can easily find Ethiopian churches. If you go to um, Europe, you can find so many uh, different churches, congregations, communities. Um, so, you know, quite apart from going to the actual places themselves, it's not so much that you have to go out of their way to find them. They will find you. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> um, we had done a piece a while back about Christian persecution. I believe it was in Nigeria. Have you heard of, um, of persecution that's happening there? Well, that's one of the, the, the world's great stories right now because uh, Nigeria uh, will be, in another decade or so, one of the world's very largest Christian communities. Uh, Nigeria is a country which is really split down the middle. It's not exactly 50-50, but close between uh, Christians and Muslims. And as I said, the numbers are just, uh, uh, just vast. Uh, there's certainly been all sorts of incidents of uh, uh, persecution and so on. Um, it's a little more complex than, uh, than that may suggest. The, uh, the terrorist group in question is, uh, is called Boko Haram, which is a very radical Islamist group. Um, and it will attack churches in the parts of the country it considers its own. But it will also uh, attack um, Muslim communities and attack mosques that it doesn't think fit their particular model of what the religion should be. So uh, th there is a lot of uh, ongoing um, ongoing violence uh, in that country. And as I say, it, it matters so much because in a decade or two, Nigeria will be one of the world's largest Christian countries. That's It's fascinating. We're talking about the, the next Christendom, the coming of global Christianity. When you put this book out, did anybody complain, oh, that can't be right, the coming of global Christianity, it's not that big. Did you get any pushback? 
Well, you know, if you think of the timing, I first wrote the book in 2002, which seems like, you know, it's a very long time ago now. <laughs> it was. Um, and in fact, I, um, uh, I, I sent the book off to the publisher, uh, you know, the point at which you can't make any changes on a very important day in American history, which was September the 10th, 2001. And uh, uh, so when people were reading the book, they were reading it in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. Yeah. I think that affected the way they were reading it because they'd heard a lot about, you know, the enormous growth of Islam and so on. And um, I think people were taken aback to realize that these uh, uh, these Christians were out there and they were uh, numerically um, so strong. But I think in the, what is it now, uh, uh, 17 years, I think that basic idea has become pretty established, uh, uh, pretty mainstream. And different denominations are very conscious of it. So, you know, if you're a, a Presbyterian, for example, you know that there are probably going to be more Presbyterians uh, worshipping in uh, Korea than in the United States. Mm-hmm. If you're a member of the Assemblies of God, there are more Assemblies of God worshippers on a given Sunday in the one city of Sao Paulo, Brazil, than in the whole United States. <laughs> um, so some uh, each denomination has its particular story about this, and I think a lot of them have really come to terms with it, and they try to, uh, you know, seek out these um, uh, believers in other countries and try to get aware of this uh, global dimension. Yeah. Well, we're talking today with uh, Dr. Philip Jenkins, author of The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity. And uh, Dr. Jenkins, tell us just a little bit about uh, Baylor University and the courses that you teach there. Okay. Well, as you may know, Baylor is uh, historically one of the uh, leading um, Baptist uh, universities in the uh, well in the United States and in the uh, in the world. Um, unlike some uh, religious derived universities, it still very strongly has that uh, uh, Christian mission at the heart of um, of what it uh, what it does. Um, I, I personally teach courses on things like global Christianity, which is what we are talking about uh, right now. And one that might come as maybe a, um, a, a slight surprise, I teach history courses. And the most recent one was about an ancient period of history, which is called the United States since 1975. So, uh, and that, that is now history. Uh, <laughs> as you, uh, I'm interrupting your thought here, but I, I just got a question. Uh, what do you see? This is your opinion. Obviously, you're not a prophet. I don't think you are. But <laughs> uh, what do you see in in store for us here in America in terms of Christianity? Well, uh, the Christian numbers in the United States are very strong. They will remain uh, very strong. Um, probably within 30 years, Christianity will still have its, if you like, its largest bastion in the United States above any other uh, nation. Um, but it'll be a very diverse Christianity uh, with people from, you know, all all parts of the world, all different, uh, uh, all different ethnic groups. Uh, there are some uh, signs of, uh, you know, a secular drift of uh, secularization in the U.S., but overwhelmingly, this is, uh, if you like, a um, a Christian um, heartland, and and will remain so. But as I say, expected to be a very diverse kind of Christianity, uh, particularly within um, within cities um, where you, you have so many um, languages spoken, so many different uh, uh, ethnic groups. 
and uh, if you think of an ethnic group, you can you can probably find a church associated with it. Mm, yeah. Should Christians learn how to better be Catholic, small c, in your opinion? They need to look at a lot of different ways of uh, worshipping and believing. Maybe the most important thing they do is not work on the basis of um, leaders and senior clergy and, pardon the expression, bureaucrats, uh, but in the way that ordinary churches and congregations uh, worship. So I think if they did that, I think often they'd be very surprised, um, but they'd be uh, they'd be very pleased. Uh, you know, if you, if you go to some of these new uh, ethnic or immigrant congregations, people are absolutely delighted to uh, uh, receive visitors, uh, just get used to a really long service with a lot of really active stuff happening. <laughs> yes. Um, we're in broadcast, as you know, and uh, when we put a sermon on, um, one of the last things that we can support is sermons that are too long. You know, we have... Uh, time each weeknight at 9 o'clock on proclamation, and those sermons can't be much longer than 35 minutes or else we run into problems. But that's just the constraints of broadcasting. Sure. But uh, I do find that people um, uh, tend to, uh, I don't know, drift a little bit in the worship services if, if the pastor goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> but maybe that shows a weakness uh, more than anything else. Well, there is that, but in uh, many of the services I'm talking about, uh, the sermon would certainly be there, but it would be associated with a lot of other different kinds of um, uh, song and uh, physical movement and different kinds of of music. So it's a really uh, uh, multimedia sort of experience. Yeah. Well, um, in the last two minutes remaining... Are you encouraged? Has you you've, you've written this book, and you're up to your third edition, The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity. From a Christian perspective, is it encouraging to look at the landscape from your perspective? Well, you know, I, I, in some ways I turn the question uh, around. Just imagine that you were just looking at the United States, or you were just looking at uh, Europe and not paying attention to what was going on there. I think you'd, you'd form a very uh, depressing, very misleading <laughs> picture of Christianity as being this kind of aged, declining thing. And you realize several things. You realize that that's where all the youth and the energy in the world is in the world, in these younger Christian congregations. And also in terms of uh, stereotypes that uh, you, you think of Christians as being these, you know, rich, white, older folks. And um, in, in terms of uh, Christian communities, the, many of the poorest people in the world are, are Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Christianity is sort of endlessly uh, diverse, diversified and growing very, very fast. Yes, that's great. Well, today we've been talking with Dr. Philip Jenkins. He is Distinguished Professor of History and with the Institute for Studies of Religion, Baylor University. And uh, Dr. Jenkins, if someone would like to learn more about you, about the university, is there a website that they can go to? Well, the main Baylor website, uh, baylor.edu, has a, uh, has a ton of information, and you'll, you'll find me on that very easily. Okay, sounds good. And do you have a blog or anything? There is a blog that comes out of Patheos, which has all the kind of religious uh, blogs. And there's uh, one there called The Anxious Bench, 
which has uh, me and a number of uh, uh, evangelical scholars who uh, blog pretty much daily, and we cover a huge range of uh, topics on that. But if you look at Patheos, P-A-T-H-E-O-S, and Anxious Bench, you'll find it. <laughs> I like that last phrase, the Anxious Bench. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Jenkins, thank you so much for taking your time today with our listeners and joining us. The book is The Next Christendom, the coming of global Christianity. Thanks for joining us. All right, thank you very much. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs>